Welcome to Kids Considered, a podcast from UC Davis Children's Hospital, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. Let's get into part two of our series on common pediatric sports injuries. During part one, we discussed some of the background of sports injuries, why they occur. We defined acute and overuse injuries. We also reviewed the most common sports injuries we see in the upper extremities in young athletes from the shoulder all the way to the hand and fingers. In today's episode, we're going to review the lower extremity and end by discussing evidence-based ways to reduce the risk of both acute and overuse injuries in youth sports. So instead of going from top to bottom like we did with the upper <laughs> extremity, let's start with the knee. The knee, which is just kind of in the middle, but, uh-huh. but super common. So I think that the knee seems to be like one of the biggest culprits in youth sports injuries, both acute and overuse injuries. So let's first talk about acute knee injuries, so injuries that happen in the moment, like one period of time the injury occurs. So recently, I saw a young girl in my office. She's a freshman college basketball point guard, and she was running down the court. She jumped up to grab the ball for like a layup or something, came down, and immediately upon landing, felt a pop in her knee and immediate pain and instability. An x-ray just showed a lot of fluid around the joint, but no fracture, nothing obvious. Um, But because of my suspicion for something, I ordered an MRI. Any idea what may have happened? You know, with girls or young women and knee pain, especially with something like soccer or basketball, that usually means an ACL tear. Mm -hmm. That was my suspicion, too, and that's absolutely right. So she had an ACL tear, also known as an anterior cruciate ligament tear. Yeah, and that hurts. So the, the ACL is one of the four ligaments that stabilize the knee, and it connects your thigh bone, the femur, to the large shin bone, the tibia. An ACL tear most commonly occurs from movements such as a sudden stop while running, pivoting, or knee hyperextension when landing from a jump like happened in this girl. It's most common in those age 11 years and older. It's much more common in females. 70% of people who experience an ACL tear also have an associated meniscus injury. So remember, the meniscus is the rubbery cartilage that kind of acts as a shock absorber between your shin bone and your thigh bone. So um, those frequently co-occur together. And so if you think about the mechanism of injury that you just talked about, then the most likely sports that lead to this type of injury are, in the order that's most common, would be girls' soccer, boys' football, girls' basketball, gymnastics, and then lacrosse for both boys and girls. And symptoms include immediate swelling. Usually people will say that they do feel that sensation of a pop. There's going to be inability to bear weight on the affected leg afterwards and feeling like you're just not stable, right? Because that ligament is super important in creating the stability of your lower leg. Yeah, yeah, that's what it, that's what that ligament does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on physical examination, there's usually some laxity or looseness felt when pulling the shin bone forward on the thigh bone because it isn't as stable. And then the x-rays are often negative because there's no fracture. So if your physician is concerned, they will order an MRI, which is really the best way to visualize and study the ligaments. Definitive treatment for this is surgery. Ideally, it will be once the injury has healed and the initial swelling has gone down. 
Typically, the athlete can return to sports approximately nine months after surgery. There have been a lot of studies that show that re-injury rate is much higher if the athlete returns at six months rather than nine months. So most sports medicine surgeons will tell their patients the expectation should be to return to the sport somewhere between nine and 12 months. Mm -hmm. And studies looking at specific training methods to reduce the risk of ACL injuries have shown really amazing results. I remember reading these and thinking, wow, this is a real advance. Because if you do these specific training methods, you can reduce the injuries by up to 72%, especially in teen girls. It's pilometric and strength training geared at strengthening the hips, core, and hamstrings. And we've got links for this information on these training methods and programs on our website. Another acute knee injury that can occur in many sports is what's called a patellar dislocation. This refers to lateral dislocation of the kneecap. And this typically occurs when the quads, the strong thigh muscles, contract when the foot is planted and the thigh bone is rotated in. So this results in pulling the kneecap out laterally to the side. And think of this occurring in sports that involve quick pivoting, uh, such as like soccer, football, and basketball. And the athletes will feel a pop, and this will immediately hurt. Kneecap dislocation is most common in sort of the 14 to 18-year group and is more common in females. Workup can include an x-ray, possibly an MRI if it keeps happening to assess for underlying bony abnormalities. And treatment for a dislocated kneecap includes, for the first thing, is popping it back into the right place. That means that's called reduction. And if that, that often occurs on its own, but sometimes you do need to do that. And then the knee needs to be immobilized, usually with a splint, and then followed by physical therapy and surgery if it tends to be a recurrent problem. Another similar mechanism to this, but less acute in, um, in the knee, is called patellar subluxation or partial dislocation. This is when the kneecap slides laterally but doesn't completely dislocate. And it can be really painful if it continues to occur for athletes. Um, it can be helped by wearing something called a patellar stability brace. Okay, now that we touched on the acute knee injuries in sports, let's, let's review the more chronic overuse injuries of the knee. One of the conditions I see most commonly as a general pediatrician is something called Osgood-Schlatter disease. It's also known as tibial tubercle apophysitis. And this occurs from chronic pulling on the shin bone, the tibia, from the quads via the tendon of the kneecap. It typically occurs only on one side, but occasionally it occurs on both sides. And it tends to flare up during periods of rapid growth, so 11 to 15 years of age. And it's more common in males versus females. It's worse with any sports that involve the quads contracting a lot. So think you're running, jumping, pivoting sports. And on physical examination, you can see swelling at the tibial tubercle. This is the bony bump just below the knee. There can be pain when this area is pressed on and with resisted extension of the leg. X-rays are not necessary for this condition if the story fits and the exam is consistent um, and there's no other concerning features. Treatment for Osgood-Schlatter includes icing after activity, physical therapy, and a patellar tendon strap, which is essentially a band that goes around your leg below the kneecap, and it provides compression on the tendon of the kneecap that pulls on the shin bone to reduce this force. 
Speaking of the kneecap, there can be other issues of this tendon that we discussed, but at the more proximal attachment, so closer to the kneecap as opposed to closer to the shin bone um, where it comes off the knee. This is known as sending larsen johansson syndrome or patellar pole pain. Yeah, I, I hate the name ones, right? Because it's like some German guy or I don't know where they're from, you know, named it after himself. But that it makes it so hard to remember what it is. Yeah, this um, one sounds versus... more Scandinavian. <laughs> <laughs> but like patellar pole pain, that makes much more sense. So this is an overuse injury that occurs more commonly in slightly younger individuals compared to Osgood Schlatter. Um, the average age is 10 to 13 years old, and it occurs more commonly in male athletes. Symptoms include pain, mild swelling, or warmth of the kneecap. And pain is especially bad when straightening the leg against force, like stair climbing, jumping, deep knee bends, or weightlifting. And that's because the quadriceps muscles that are activated with these activities pull at this area. It most commonly presents in kids who play sports that involve running, jumping, or kicking. If you obtain x-rays, which you don't need to if it's very consistent, um, they may just be normal or they might show a slight irregularity at this area of the distal patellar pole. And treatment is similar to many of the conditions that we've already talked about. Rest from the aggravating activity, ice to keep the inflammation down, pain medications, and then physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And while we're on the kneecap, we can't forget about patellofemoral pain syndrome. Um, It's not totally specific to athletics. Um, It can really happen to anyone, but it's definitely increased in our young athletes. It is caused by increased load at the patella femoral joint, so where the patella and the femur um, kind of connect. It's caused by running, jumping, squatting, climbing stairs. So think of sports like basketball, volleyball, track, and cross country. Yeah, It's a chronic anterior knee pain towards the front of the knee, And it's related to how the kneecap moves in the patellar femoral groove. This abnormal tracking of the kneecap can be caused by many different anatomic variations. And these include flat feet, knock knees, weakness of the quadriceps or hamstrings, or internally rotated thigh. And it occurs more commonly in females. If your physician is um, suspicious for this patellofemoral syndrome, though, I might perform something called a patellar grind test, which is where your leg is extended all the way out and you're asked to kind of contract your quads as they exert a downward force on the kneecap. If you have pain, that's considered a positive test. Pain can be exacerbated with the things that I already mentioned, so squatting, climbing stairs, walking down hills, or even sitting for a long time. Treatment includes physical therapy and arch support for some if flat feet are thought to contribute. And so we spent a lot of time talking about the knee because there's a lot of stuff that I feel mm-hmm. like that, that can happen with the knee. But let's transition more to now to the shin. So I don't know if, if this was just like a my generation thing, but I feel like people were always like saying they were sitting out of PE class because they had shin splints. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, what in the world does that even mean? But you're a runner, so you maybe have more experience with this than I do. Yeah, you know, I very infrequently get shin splints, but usually I just slow down because like, the first moment I feel them, I just like slow down and they go away. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. So shin splints are also known as medial tibial stress syndrome. It's the most common source of shin pain in runners, but it can also be seen in dancers or gymnasts or other athletes. It usually presents with mild soreness that's more diffuse, like all over the shin area. 
um, and pressure in the shins when you're running. It's caused by the muscles and tendons of this area in the shin becoming inflamed from use, and it's relieved by rest. And importantly, there should be no pain like in a specific area when you're pushing on the bone. Yeah, because this can often be confused with a stress fracture in this area and can also be seen in competitive runners, dancers, gymnasts, and any athlete in a high-impact sport. The big difference is that for stress fractures, the pain will be present in a very focal area, point tenderness of the shin. Pain persists during and after running, and the pain gets worse over time. So it's important to know that x-rays may miss stress fractures in approximately two-thirds of cases because the stress fractures are very, very small. And treatment for these is obviously different. Shin splints can usually be relieved with icing after running, resting or switching to a lower impact sport just for a while, like think swimming or bicycling, and then having really supportive running shoes and making sure you're changing out your running shoes pretty frequently when they get worn down. So some recommendations say every six months or so. I know I definitely don't follow that. Yeah, yeah. so the shoe store I go to, I go to they say every four or 500 miles. Okay, good. Good to know. Stress fractures usually warrant evaluation from orthopedics or sports medicine specialists, and you'll, you'll want to rest the area usually for about six weeks off the sport, and occasionally the area may be casted or put in a walking boot because this really allows it to rest more and to heal completely. Okay, let's go through another case and see if you can guess what it is. So last week, I had a 10-year-old boy come into the office. He's a soccer player, wears cleats. He's been practicing more frequently, so about three days a week and playing two to three games on the weekends. And he came in complaining of pretty bad bilateral heel pain. What do you think's going on? You know, usually when it's in this area, I sometimes think of like plantar fasciitis, but that's Mm. not focal to the heel. So I'm not Mm. sure. What is it? Well, it's actually the most common thing is called calcaneal apophysitis, but the name that many people know it as is Seaver's disease. And it's actually caused by inflammation of the Achilles tendon where it attaches to the heel bone at another growth plate, as you probably guessed. Um, So if you feel like the back of your ankle, I don't know, I'm feeling mine right now. There's this like big, thick tendon, and that is the Achilles tendon. So Seaver's disease is often bilateral. It occurs in younger kids, usually first appearing around eight and less likely to occur after the growth plate fuses, which is by 14 years of age in most kids. And it's more common in males. It's also more common in athletes that play sports that have frequent ground impact. So soccer, football, basketball, baseball, gymnastics. Um, It can be worse when wearing cleats. And on exam, they're going to usually have pain with what we call like the heel squeeze test, which is just like it sounds. You like squeeze the heel and they have a lot of pain at the Achilles tendon insertion. Treatment includes icing for about 20 minutes after activity, calf stretches, physical therapy, heel cups and arch support for flat feet. So I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the good old-fashioned sprained ankle, because that's really common. (laughs) That is very, very common, Um, and most don't even make it in to see their doctors, so we probably don't even know how common this really is. Right, that's a mom um, or dad diagnosis. (laughs) Yeah, mom or dad. You know, it's just a sprained ankle, like just, you know, walk it off. I don't know. That's what my parents would say. Probably not the best advice. So a rolled ankle or lateral ankle sprain is the most common acute injury um, seen at the doctor's office. And even like we said, more commonly, probably not seen at the doctor's office. 
It's most commonly from an inversion injury, which is when your foot rolls kind of inward on your ankle. And it can occur from sports that involve jumping, pivoting, running, or just walking on uneven ground. Um, although this week I did see it from a bounce house. Of course, shout out to those bounce houses for trampolines for keeping the, the door open and in business. <laughs> so after an ankle sprain, you may have swelling, bruising, and pain on the outside of the ankle, usually just under the lateral ankle bone. And that's really how sometimes you can tell how severe the ankle sprain is. Mm-hmm. We refer to those bones as the malleolus or the malleoli, um, those those two ankle bones, one on the outside and one on the inside. In ankle sprains, the most common ligament involved is the ATFL, which stands for anterior talofibular ligament, except for I remember it as always tears first ligament <laughs> because it's the most common that will tear. Um, so that's how I remembered it in med school. So you mentioned that an ankle sprain is one of the most common acute injuries we see in pediatrics, but you don't just want to go around ordering x-rays on every kid with an ankle sprain because that would be a lot of unnecessary radiation. So how do you know when to get an x-ray to see if there's a fracture um, or when to assume it's only a sprain and it's going to heal um, on its own over time? Yeah, great question. So typically we use something called the Ottawa ankle rules. Well, thank you, Canada, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was developed in in Canada, Ottawa. The original study, which was done using these rules, was actually done in 1992, so it's been a while, but it showed this rule was 100% sensitive. So remember, a high sensitivity means that very few or zero in this initial study um, of the fractures would be missed, and a 40% specific. So like, they did more that didn't actually end up being fractures, but they didn't miss any fractures. And it reduced, importantly, it reduced the number of x-rays being ordered unnecessarily by 36%, which is pretty significant. So what does the rule say about ordering x-rays? When do you do it? Okay, so x-rays should be obtained if there's one of the following. Inability to bear weight at the time of injury and at the initial medical evaluation. And they describe bearing weight as like not being able to take four or more steps. Mm-hmm. And they also say if there's pain or tenderness at any of the bony prominences of the ankle or foot. So that would be the tip um, of either of those malleoli that we talked about, kind of the prominent bones of the ankle. The base of the fifth, it's called metatarsal, but it's like the toe bone, essentially. The little toe. The little toe bone. Mm-hmm. Or the navicular bone, which is also one of the larger bones in the foot. Your doctor will know what these are. But if they feel like you have localized tenderness to any of these points, then they would order an x-ray. And if you determine that you don't need an x-ray and it's likely a sprained ankle without a fracture, then then what's the next step? Then we do like a phased approach to return to play. So like so many people have heard about like phase one, which is like we say rice, right? Rest, ice, compression, elevation. Um, so you can rest it, use a, a wrap or a, um, a, like an ACE bandage, ice it. We can do things like ibuprofen or Tylenol for pain. And then you can start bearing weight on it as soon as you can tolerate it. Once that phase one is resolved and you have pain and swelling have definitely subsided to the point where you can walk on it, you want to restore flexibility and range of motion with some like calf strengthening exercises. Once that feels pretty good, then you want to restore your proprioception. So that's your like coordination and agility as an athlete. So 
I mean, I can't even do this even as not an athlete, but like there's those balance boards mm. or you might want to stand yeah. on one leg and like, you know, throw a ball back and forth with your sibling or your parent because that will help you kind of work on your coordination. I think I need to do this without an ankle sprain. <laughs> <laughs> and then you you want to go back to more of your sports specific skills and then finally return to practice. So every person's going to be different about how long this takes them for them to heal. It may be, you know, a week, it may be two weeks. Um, just work with your parent and your coach and your pediatrician to know when you're safe to go back. You know, for most ankle sprains, people will be feeling better in about two weeks. And if you are still having pain at this stage, it's worth following up with your doctor to make sure that there wasn't a small fracture that didn't show up on the initial x-ray. So we've really covered a lot of ground in this discussion about the most common pediatric sports injuries. And we've talked a little bit about prevention throughout. We talked about pitch counts and preventing little league shoulder and elbow in our last episode. And we also mentioned the knee injury prevention program for preventing knee injuries like the ACL tears. Mm-hmm. And, but I know that a lot of our listeners are probably thinking, okay, well, now that we know everything that can happen from these sports, how do we as parents and coaches prevent athletic injury in kids? So the American Academy of Pediatrics has a great injury prevention tip sheet, which we have linked to on our website. And some of the recommendations include taking at least one day off from their sport per week. That allows for recovery. Wearing the right gear, the appropriately fit helmets, pads, etc. Strength training, increased flexibility, so stretching muscles and tendons when the bones are growing. Using proper technique, taking breaks, and stopping activity if there's any pain. And then making sure that you hydrate frequently. Yeah, we did another episode on like heat illness prevention. So that's another good thing to think about, especially with summer coming up when we Mm -hmm. record this. In addition, we really want to reiterate that we know from research that those who participate in a single sport at a much earlier age do tend to be at increased risk for injury compared to those who participate in multiple sports. So I know a lot of parents are like, well, my kid loves baseball and they show really great potential and they're going to be in the MLB one day. Um, But really, parents can help their young athletes by allowing them to play multiple sports and avoid specialization so that they prevent injury, ideally until they're in college. And so we really want to reiterate that the the data backs that up. It doesn't mean that your kid is not going to excel in their sport of choice, but it is really helpful to, to play more than one sport. So that wraps up part two of our discussion on lower extremity sports injuries. Let's summarize today's topic. Knee injuries are common in youth sports, and these include acute injuries like ACL tears and patellar dislocations and subluxations, and overuse injuries like Osgood-Schlatter, Sindine-Larsen-Johansson, and patellar femoral syndrome. We discussed how to tell the difference between shin splints and stress fractures, two common injuries in runners. And we discussed ankle sprains and how we determine which sprains may need an x-ray to determine there is no fracture using the Ottawa ankle rules. And we finished our discussion today reviewing some of the additional tips for preventing youth sports injury, including time off from the sport every week, proper form and safety gear, strength and flexibility training, and avoiding specialization in a single sport at a young age. We would like to thank Dr. Nick Hadamia, family medicine and sports medicine physician at University of California, San Francisco, 
and Dr. Nicole Friel, orthopedic sports medicine specialist at Shriners Hospital for Children, Northern California, for reviewing this episode, although Dr. Lena and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. And that reminds me of a joke. (laughs) Let's hear it. Okay, so what do you call an injury that you get at yoga class? Hmm... Something like about a downward dog or something like that. Yog hurt. Yogurt? Yog hurt. Yogurt? Yeah, I got it. But it just doesn't. <laughs> okay, so that's. The sports medicine jokes are lacking this okay. week. So that was one of the lower, lower percentile lower qualities. <laughs> jokes. Yes. Yeah, when's the last sports injury that you had? Oh, geez. I. To, to be honest, I'm not a sporty person, so I occasionally will run. Like, mm-hmm. my max is, like, three miles, Yeah, you do the, some of the charity runs, right? Right. I do some of the charity runs for fun. Um, I would say I'm, like, a 10 to 11-minute mile girl, you know, just kind of slow going. Uh-huh. Um, and then... I did dabble in playing lacrosse when I was younger, but it didn't. I don't know if I ever touched the ball or anything. My dad was like always making fun of me that I like ran in the opposite direction. So to be honest, I've always been like a very cautious. Like I was always a very cautious kid. I didn't love that like competitive sports um, scene. And so I don't I've never had a broken bone. And I've like very rarely had any real sports injuries. What about Mm -hmm. you? Um, I guess the last, I, I tore a hamstring, um, a few months yeah. ago. I wasn't happy about that. And then when we were, when we talked, when we were doing the sports medicine, I thought, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk all about hamstring tears. And then I remembered that when I looked after I tore my hamstring, I wanted to learn about it. So I looked it up and like a risk factor is being older. not applicable this is not really common Uh, in pediatrics yeah well i also remember you were having a lot of knee stuff at one point remember and i think we talked about that in an an earlier episode as well i think the complementary medicine episode because you were like looking for any strategy to help that get better yeah and that's that's from um, meniscus tears which just Mm -hmm. occur over time and so i've had a few knee scopes that Mm -hmm. have um that have worked Yeah, well, that's great. And, you know, like we said, these are common. They are not reasons for you to keep your kid out of sports. We know the benefit of sports is just so enormous for kids. Um, But there's a lot of great ways and tips to prevent injury. And so working with your pediatrician, your coach, um, your schools to make sure that we really work to prevent these injuries from occurring in the first place. That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 